0: All right. Good morning. You glad you're at the house of the Lord today? Amen. What a great time of worship. Amen. Great, great stuff. So thank you, worship team, for leading us. Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today again, because this chapter in God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word is absolutely incredible. It transfers one of the most amazing things in history for 2000 years to this very moment in this very place. You see, in Acts chapter two, we find the birth and the launch of the Lord's church. That is the bride of Christ, God's forever family. And so for 2000 years, this thing has just been moving forward, gaining ground. And if you're born again today, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you're a part, you are a part of what happened 2000 years ago in Acts chapter two, and that's incredible. But it doesn't stop here. You see, the reason we are still here is because Peter tells us uh, that God is patient and willing that none should perish, but that all would have eternal life. So that means you and I have a job to do because there's people still out there who need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And many, there's many out there who have heard the gospel of Jesus, they've never received the gospel of Jesus. And you have a circle of influence, people in your life that would listen to you more than they would listen to me, listen to you more than they would listen to anybody else. And so it's your job to be a witness. And God is saying today, can I get a witness? Say that with me. Can I get a witness? Now, what we find in Acts chapter two in this portion is the first Christian sermon ever preached. It's not the first sermon ever preached. There were sermons preached in the Old Testament. Jesus preached sermons. John the Baptist was a preacher. This is the first Christian sermon ever preached. And I have read this thing hundreds of times. If you're like me and and you love this book, you probably read it many times. I've never preached on this sermon. This sermon is absolutely off the chain, chock full of information. And it's coming from a guy who's an uneducated fisherman from Galilee. It's incredible, but this is what happens when the Holy Spirit uh, uh, takes a life and fills it and comes upon a person. This is what it looks like. And so in Acts chapter 2, we, we see the beginning, only the beginning, of the fulfillment of the theme verse of all of the book of Acts, I believe, which is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the furthest parts of the earth. And so this is the beginning of it. So last week, we called the sermon, The Awakening. that's what we're in today. On the back of your life guide, you've got some fill in the blanks. I would encourage you to fill these in because today you are going to learn how to be an effective witness. You're going to learn the keys to sharing your faith with a lost world. You're going to find the keys so you can just have a conversation about Jesus in a world who needs to hear the message of Jesus. Do you believe the world needs to hear the message of Jesus? If you do, say, I do. Then you're right, they do. And so that's why you're here. And so you're gonna learn today how to do that. So last week in this message called The Awakening, we first saw the messenger uh, for The Awakening. And it was Peter, an unlikely sort, somebody who was full of failure, somebody who didn't have all of the answers, somebody who was afraid (coughs) of doing what it is God wanted him to do, afraid of what the future held. And he looked like us. And so we just sang a song that I'm, I'm not afraid. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. And it was true of Peter. And if you're a Christian today, it's true for you. You have nothing to be afraid of because you belong to Jesus. I'll sum this point, this part of the message up like this Our credentials and our pedigree is not as important or impressive to God as we think it should be. He's not impressed with us, He, He doesn't need your credentials. He doesn't need all of your capabilities. God is more concerned about your availability than he is your ability. You get that? He's more concerned about your ability, uh, your availability than he is your ability. Because we don't really bring that much to the table. All we do is give a testimony. We just share the story. We can't save anybody, and we're going to see that today. We also saw last week, point number two, the matrix for the awakening. The matrix we described, or by definition, it is the substance or the material in which something develops. It's surrounding information or medium that uh, that gives composition to what it is we're talking about. And so the matrix we saw last week has four parts. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, God's desire to save people. And number four, a witness. Three of the four are available 24-7, literally around the clock. The fourth one is optional, and that's up to us. You see, God wants to deploy you and include you in his kingdom agenda. That's just just amazing that, that he wants to include you in changing the dimensions of heaven and hell. He wants to include you in rescuing someone who is dying in their sin condition, headed to an eternity called hell. He wants to include you in a rescue mission to get them off of that trajectory and head them to a place called heaven. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that cool to know? So then the question comes up, why don't we do it? Why are we not being good witnesses? Why do most of us not have a list in our pocket of people that we have led to Jesus? How, how is it that weeks and months and years go by and we don't tell anybody the greatest story ever told and his name is Jesus Christ? That's a good question. If you agree that's a good question, say amen. It's a great question. We're going to see today in this first Christian sermon the the, the essentials and the categories that are required or can be used to share the gospel so that you can share your faith, so you can be the witness that God wants you to be. It's right here in this very first sermon, and it is absolutely amazing. Now, if, if, if Peter can do it, you can do it. Look at the person next to you and say, I, I think you can do it. I, I want you to understand something today. Jesus has called you to be a witness, okay? He, does, he hasn't called you to be a defender of God. He hasn't called you to be a debater with Yehu's in this world. He hasn't called you to be a know-it-all with all the answers. He hasn't called you to be a Christian Wikipedia. He has called you to be a witness. That's it. It's, it's that, that's the simplicity of it. Should you have any answers to any questions? There's only one I can really find. It's found in 1 Peter 3, 15. He says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to every foolish question of every Yahoo that walks on the planet. No, I made that part up. He says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess." Just give an answer for your witness. Just be able to give a testimony, an articulate, uh, an articulate expression of the salvation that you found in Jesus. So how do we do that? Peter's gonna show us. And if Peter can do it, you can do it. Number three, on the back of your life guide, under the series uh, called The Awakening, the message for The Awakening. This is it. This, this is what you need to learn. Take some notes. This will help you. This will help you be obedient to God this will help you be, experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. This will help you impact eternal destinies of people in your family, people on your team, people in your school, people at your work, people in your neighborhood, all the people that you know on this planet. It begins like this, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Peter steps up to the plate in front of literally thousands of people. And like Calvin saying uh, earlier, he was not afraid. He did fear nothing because he was, uh, he, was G- he was with Jesus. Jesus was with him. And so he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. That's how your witness begins. Hey, can I tell you something? I need you to listen to this because this changed my life. He goes on, and point, uh, the a sub-point under the message for the awakening is this, the authentication of Jesus. First, when you witness, you need to give authenticity to the name of Jesus. So we're going to authenticate him, make him real, make him bigger than life, make him, because he was bigger than life, because he was God in the flesh, and we're going to share that with him. That's our job. So Peter says this, Jesus the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Peter's at ground zero in the birth of the church. He's got 120 people in his in his group. He's got 120 people in his accountability group, and he stands before literally Thousands of people, and he says, let me talk to you about Jesus the Nazarene. He doesn't want to talk about catching fish. He doesn't want to talk about just yet the particular miracles that God included Peter in. Let me tell you, my name's Peter, and I did walk on water a couple of steps. He doesn't bring that up. He doesn't bring any of the miracles up. He says, I need to talk to you about something bigger than me, something bigger than things that happened in my life. I need to talk to you about Jesus the Nazarene. So if you're going to witness to somebody, if you're going to share your faith, it's not about you. It doesn't begin with your testimony. It doesn't begin with your train wreck of a life long ago. It begins with Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus is the game changer. He's the one that the witnessing is all about. He is the one that opens the door to heaven for us and for the people in our world. And so he says... He says Jesus was not the average man. He impacted the world and he obviously did things that only someone with a divine appointment can do. He, nobody can discredit Jesus. You can deny Jesus as God, you can deny Jesus access into your life to be your savior, but you cannot deny the historical figure of Jesus. If you do, you're an idiot. There's more proof of Jesus than there is any other human being in world history. And so Jesus is real. And so he's authentic. He's authentically God. He says they're clearly attested to you by God. It's a cool Greek word. It's, it's apodectomy. Has nothing to do with your appendix. Okay. This has to do with authentic revelation of who Jesus is. Was. Jesus left no stone unturned in revealing that he was more than a mortal human being. He was God with skin on. He made it very clear. And so Peter points that out. Now he puts some categories on there. He was categorically proven. He says there were powerful deeds, dynamite deeds beyond explanation, wonders. He gave wonders that no one could explain, leaving people often speechless. He gave signs, which which is the word simeon, which means a message pointing to something else, which is the greatness of. Of who he was. Jesus gave sight to the blind. Jesus gave hearing to deaf ears. Jesus gave travel to lame legs and feet. Jesus converted the water to wine. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus commanded the fish. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle, attesting to the reality and the authentic uh, the, the authenticity authenticity, easier for me to say, authenticity of who he was. You can talk about Jesus being bigger than life because Jesus is the author of life, amen? It ain't that hard to talk about Jesus if you know him. Jesus is a big God and he is easy to talk about. Peter goes on and he is he tells us that he is consistently undeniable. He He says, Jesus changed the world, and he changed his personal life. So so far, Peter's told him about the great wonders that Jesus did. He's talking about Jesus being undeniable. He was, and he didn't wasn't some covert operative. He did it right out in public, and Peter talked about it two thousand years ago. And your witness begins just like this. You can talk about the greatness of Jesus. You can talk about the undeniable reality of Jesus in your life. He's real, and that's how it begins. It's not rocket science. It's just we just have to push through the fear factor. And so we begin our witness with the authenticity of who Jesus is. Now, why is it that we don't tell other people about Jesus? Because it's the opposite of the song that we just sang, fear we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid they're going to ask us questions we don't know the answer to. We're afraid of, uh, of the unknowns of the future and the encounter. And listen, we have nothing to be afraid of. There are no new questions for God. There are no questions that somebody has not asked before. And God is not obligated to answer everybody's silly questions. And God has not called you to answer everybody's silly question. God has called you to be a witness. It is that simple. Listen to me. It is not what you don't know that will save somebody. It's who you do know. Okay? And, and so in this, in this sermon, I want you to understand, this is a monologue. It's not a dialogue. If you want failure in your witness, open it up for questions as you go. Let me tell you about Jesus. You got any questions? No, that's stupid. Peter is not getting an interview on The View with Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg where they're loaded with questions to discredit him. Peter says, it's my time now. Listen to what I've got to say. And your testimony, your witness is an opportunity not to field the silly questions of the world, but to testify about the one who holds all of the answers to all of creation and existence in the palm of his hand. That's your job as a witness. And that's what Peter does. He just begins to vomit information about Jesus. He doesn't say anybody got any questions. You know, have you noticed? I don't do that much because I don't want you to look foolish. No, because God puts a message on my heart. All I can do to get it out, I don't have time for questions. And Peter stepped up, he don't have time for questions. I didn't come to answer questions. I came to tell you the answer to the most important question in your life. And that's what witness looks like. You just share the truth of Jesus. So you begin your witness like that. And and, and if in today's culture, now he's speaking to Jews and non-Jews 2,000 years ago. So he's kind of got a Jewish approach to it. We'll see in just a minute. It's not necessarily true for you. You make your witness for the people that you listen to. It might include uh, something like this. You're, You're wanting to give authenticity to Jesus. Did you know that Jesus has been talked about more than any human being in history? Did you know that Jesus has been written about more than any human being in world history? Did you know that Jesus has, has had more songs sung about him than any human being in human history? Did you know that Jesus is the most debated human figure in history did you know that Jesus' name is, is affiliated with more hospitals, more missions, and more help ministries and organizations than any individual organization or government in world history? That's who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, they've got their ear because they had not thought. They've already backed themselves in a corner. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm an atheist. Whatever. If you're an atheist, you've got your head stuck in the sand. You can't not believe in some level of higher being because just look around. Everything is too intricately woven in perfection together for you to say, I'm an atheist. Now, they say that, but they can't really believe that. And if they do, it's only because they've been blinded by the devil. That's where you come in. You see, you're just like Peter, untrained, unprofessional, didn't pretend to have all the answers. But when you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you and when the Holy Spirit in his fullness comes upon you you can testify and you can be a witness for Jesus how true is the story the person you're talking to may look uh, may, may want to know it's so true that the, out of the 12 disciples that launched this thing, only one of them died of natural causes. History suggests or records that Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was tied to an X-shaped cross, slowly died over a three-day period. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded. Philip, hanged. James, the son of Alphaeus, stoned and then clubbed to death. Bartholomew flayed to death with knives, Matthew stabbed to death, Thomas speared to death, Thaddeus shot with arrows, Simon the zealot crucified, Matthias stoned, beheaded, and burned. I guess he's gone because he's on the B team, all right? Bad, bad deals for all of the disciples except for John. And John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he would write the book of Revelation only after, listen, being boiled in a vat of oil. Why? Why would they do that? Because they knew that Jesus was real and Jesus was God and Jesus came to change the world and they were full of the Spirit even if it meant they would die a martyr's death. And we're worried about a little rejection from some Yahoo that we work with. We're worried about a little rejection from some Yehu we go to school with. We're worried about a brother-in-law or sister-in-law who may be educated beyond their intelligence level and they think they have all the answers about God and his non-existence. Meanwhile, the disciples were martyred because they were so sold out to Jesus. So we begin to, we, we give often, uh, authentication to the name of Jesus. Number two, now that's who he was. We begin our testimony, our witness, just talking about who Jesus was. And you can include whatever uh, details you want in that. And if you're and if you say, I just don't know what to say, copy this. Tell them what Peter said. Just just learn just learn. Repeat what Peter said. We're gonna see in a minute. It worked for him. It's not about you, it's about the Holy Spirit empowering you. It's about the Holy Spirit desiring to. Use you and to impact the world through you. So we see who Jesus was, the authentication of Jesus. Now we're going to move to what Jesus did. Uh, under the same title, put the word crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now Peter says, That's who he was. Now I want you to tell you, I want to tell you what happened. Verse 23 says, This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You executed by nailing him to a cross at the hands of the Gentiles. They're 53 days removed from the crucifixion. Everybody knows about the crucifixion. Everybody knows that they all had a part in it. Peter tells them something that is true today. You can quote him on this too. You can say, Jesus was crucified by you. Listen, did you know you crucified Jesus? Did you know that? You killed Jesus. Everybody say, I killed Jesus. Some of us not convinced. Let me help you. You killed Jesus. Say I killed Jesus. You say that sounds so bad. Yeah, it's bad. He went to the cross. That was bad, and it's your fault and it's my fault. And Peter is standing before thousands of people, and he's saying, it's your fault. The truth is, Jesus was hung on a criminal's cross because of all of us. There's no human being exempt from guilt of killing Jesus upon a cross, because Jesus went to the cross for our sin. And so he says, you crucified him. Everybody crucified him. Now, the good news in the rest of the story, Peter says it right here. He says, this man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, God knew you, you were going to kill him. Before you were born, God knew you had a sin nature because of the fall of man in Adam and Eve. And he knew Adam and Eve's sin, and every person every person who's ever walked on this planet had sin that killed Jesus. So the same message that Peter is sharing, you can share. But the rest of the story is that this plan that crucified Jesus on a cross, it was much, much more to the plan. You see, he goes on and he says, God had planned it. He knew what he was doing. It was planned. It was orchestrated by God. So what is the rest of the story? He was crucified. What else does this plan include? That goes to the next verse and the next point. The resurrection of Jesus. So now we've talked about the authentication of Jesus, who he was. Now what he did, he was crucified on a cross and it's our fault. Everybody say my fault. Okay, you can, We're all on the same playing field. You're telling somebody about their sinful condition that you were born with the same sinful condition. You're not judging somebody for their sin because you were a sinner as well. And even after you're saved, you still commit sin. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Now, it didn't stop there, the resurrection, verse 24. But God, he had this predetermined plan to crucify Jesus on a cross. But then he says, but God raised him up having released him from the pains of death i love this part of the verse because it was not possible for him to be held in his power you can't keep a god man down you, it's impossible for creation to take the life from the creator okay now we we de- uh, we dealt him a little blow when we put him on the cross and and he died, literally died, but it wasn't the end of the story. God's predetermined plan included the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm going to skip a few verses here. And I'm going to go down to verse 32 because he's speaking to Jews. And he's talking about David, how David saw this coming. David prophesied that Jesus would come and be crucified, and but he wouldn't stay dead. He would be resurrected. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of it God raised him to life now now why is this important this resurrection point why is Peter kind of driving this thing home you ready because Peter knew everybody he was talking to were dying every person standing in front of him were dying people and I got sad news for the rest of us we are too And the people at work and the people in your family and the people in your school and the people on your team and the people in the neighborhood, they're all dying. Nobody's exempt from this terrible thing called death except for Jesus. He says, you can't kill Jesus. He can't be held by it. And so Peter is now saying, everybody thinks about death. I remember when I was a little boy, my parents taught me this little prayer. You may have said it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anybody ever pray that prayer when you're little? Okay. I remember one night we're doing our bedtime prayers, and I was probably in the first grade. I don't remember exactly when it was. I could have been 16. I don't know. But I remember this. I was praying, and I said, now I lay me down to sleep. I, uh, hours ago and now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before awake and when I said that I paused the whole thing right there I just opened my eyes and said ho, ho. What? I asked my mom and dad I said could I die tonight I mean I'm, it, for the first time it set in that it could happen that this could be my last night I didn't want to finish the prayer and my parents said well that's why you say the rest of the prayer you're going to pray that he's going to keep you Okay, I gripped my teeth and pressed on, okay? Everybody thinks about dying sometime. If you've ever thought about dying, just raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you need to start thinking about dying. You know why? Because you are. And that's the good news. You're born into this world. The first breath you take, it's the breath that begins the process of dying for you. It's kind of a morbid thought, but it's reality. Jesus came. Peter says, you can't take life from Jesus. And Jesus was resurrected and he opened the door to life without dying eternally. Good, good stuff. Powerful stuff. It impacts everybody today just like it did when Peter spoke it 2,000 years ago. Peter steps up to the plate and he says this thing, this idea of life after death, so unreasonable So unexplainable, so unbelievable, now in Jesus is undeniable and even better, available. That is so good. That is so good. Can't explain it. Can't believe it. Can't deny it. And now you can have it. That's what Jesus did. And it becomes part of our testimony. Uh, We're going to Israel here in just a few weeks. Man, I'm so excited. But let me tell you what what we're not going to see when we get there we're not going to see a grave marker for Jesus because he ain't there. He's at the right hand of the Father. He resurrected from the dead. His body is no longer here. And he, he paved the way for me and for you and everybody in your world to live this life without, with hope, not worrying about dying because death, physical death, is only a corridor that launches us into what living is really all about. And so, so that's what Peter is sharing. Now he tells about the cru- authentication, He tells about the crucifixion. He tells about the resurrection. So where's he at now? The person you're speaking to that you're sharing as a monologue, still not open for questions. They raise their hand. Just I'll get with you in a minute. Okay. We're not fielding questions right now. Now I got some more to say. Where is he now? I'm going to answer one of your questions. The next point is the ascension of Jesus. Verse 33, so then exalted to the right hand of God and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. You know what he says? He says, so this Jesus was resurrected and for 40 days he walked around on this earth showing himself to thousands of people and all our early church, this 119 other people behind me, 120 total, we all saw the thing. We watched it all. We watched the resurrection. We experienced him in flesh and blood, in his, in his glorified state. Uh, and then we watched him as he mounted on a cloud and went back to heaven. And these two guys in white robes showed up and said, hey, why are you doing? Looking up into heaven. You got work to do. Go do it. And he told us the way. And he's telling the whole story right there. And then he introduces this idea. He says, he says and, re, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. Now, here's what's cool. Peter had no reason to have any boldness to stand in front of thousands of people, most of them more educated than he was probably, and proclaim the good news of God. Who is he to do that? In fact, his flesh would say, I don't really want to do that. But he was full of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit came up on him and now he's no longer afraid. He's bold. And I go back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. One of the reasons that we don't share the gospel, one of the reasons that we don't witness is because we won't allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. And each one of us, you and you and you and me, every day need to go before God and say, God, empower me with your Holy Spirit on this day. Give me the words to speak to someone who, someone who needs to hear them. Let me be your witness. I want to be counted in the kingdom. I want people to spend eternity in heaven rather than hell because you were willing to use me, empower me with your Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to skip a few verses. He brings up David again. And you probably won't want to talk about David to the people that you're going to witness to because they're probably not Jews and they probably hadn't read the Old Testament. Now if you want to, if it's a Jew, you can talk about David, how David saw it all coming, told about the whole thing. And so Peter is just now, he's he's partway through his sermon, but he has already dug this thing so deep that if we just read it, we miss it. He has taught us so much already. He has unpacked the Trinity of God. You didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. And, And if you all knew it, why didn't you tell me? Okay. He has unpacked the Trinity you know how hard that is? The three persons of God, and he's gonna, he's gonna sum it up and give us a, an understanding where we can understand the position and the location of God the Father and the position and location of Jesus the Son and the position and the location of the Holy Spirit and what their responsibility is in this thing called the triune Godhead, the Trinity. Seriously, listen to what he does. First, he he tells us about God the Father. God the Father planned everything. And God the Father predetermined everything. And God the Father resides in his eternal abode called heaven. Now, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, but his primary residence is heaven, okay? Now, in verse 23, it's what he said. He says, the predetermined plan of God. So everybody say, God plans it all. He's the planner, okay? So I'll sum it up like this. God is the supreme authority even among the Trinity. He is responsible for devising and developing the grand purposes and plans of eternity past present and future. That's who God the father is. So let's just set him up here. Here he is. He's in heaven. And that's what he does. He plans it all. He's over it all. Even the Trinity. Now let's look at the second person of God, the second person of the Trinity, God, the son. So God, the father planned it. Jesus, God, the son performs it. All right? He performed creation. He performed redemption. He's building our eternal home. He, he will perform judgment when we stand before him. He, performed, he will perform an eternal reign. He will perform everything that God has ever planned for all of eternity. God the Father, the planner. Jesus the Son, God, he's the performer. Everybody say, Jesus the performer. Is it making sense? Say it is. If it's not, just shake your head no and you can listen to it on Facebook. All right, verse 22, he talks about the powerful deeds that Jesus performed, the wonders that he performed, miraculous signs he performed. Verse 23, the crucifixion, he performed the redemption. Verse 32, rose from the dead, he performed the resurrection. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand. So where is Jesus now? God the Father is in heaven. Where is Jesus in his ascended glorified body? He's to the right hand of the Father. That's where he is right now. Jesus is in heaven with the Father. So I'll sum it up this way. Jesus Christ is always under the Father's authority while being co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. You can't really wrap your minds around that, but that's reality. Jesus continues to do the Father's will in all things. Jesus is the administrator, the demonstrator, and the fulfillment of God's design, plan, plan. purpose. Jesus is currently in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, where he now makes intercession for us. Uh, He orchestrates the construction and the preparation of our eternal home. That's what he told us. And one day at the sovereign will and plan of God the Father, Jesus will perform the resurrection of the church, excuse me, the rapture of the church and ultimately the resurrection of all who believe. Jesus is the performer. Thirdly, now, he introduces the third part of God, the Holy Spirit God. God, the Holy Spirit of promise, was poured out, and he's here with us today. Now, God the Father, I already said he's omnipresent. Jesus is right hand. But the Holy Spirit is who we, the part of God we deal with. When you feel moved by the Holy Spirit in a song, when you hear something convicts your heart from the word of God, when you feel a nudge to do something to help somebody, a conviction in your heart it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives within you. He is part of God. Verse 33, that receive the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. He's poured out what you both see and hear. The Holy Spirit is tangible, okay? Jesus said, you, see the, uh, you can't see the wind, but you can feel the effects of the wind, right? That's what the Holy Spirit, he's real, he's tangible. You can't touch him, but you can feel his presence. So I'll say this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is co-eternal, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit seeks to glorify both the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit convicts The Holy Spirit calls people to repentance. The Holy Spirit calls people to salvation. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. The Holy Spirit fills the believer. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer to be a witness. The Holy Spirit deposits life-changing fruit of a heavenly nature into the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the believers for ministry. The Holy Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit comforts, the Holy Spirit is... The Holy Spirit has a desire to encourage and help us be more like Jesus and to help us lead other people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now you know a little bit more about the Trinity. And Peter, this uneducated fisherman, shows up and just vomits all that out right there. And most of the time we read it, and goes right over our head. You see, when Peter is witnessing about the resurrected Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God stuff happens and stuff comes out that we didn't know had been deposited because listen to me this is good when god makes a deposit of the holy spirit in your life he has deposited part of himself in our life that's a little creepy a little bit a little bit scary but a little bit amazing you've got god living inside of you and he has all of the answers to all of the questions that have never even been asked. And so all of a sudden, this is why we don't have to be afraid. This is why Peter wasn't afraid. Peter's just gonna tell him what he knows to be true. And so we have the authentication of Jesus. That's who he was. What he did, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and now we're gonna see the glorification of Jesus. Now why does what all he does did and who he was why does that matter oh it matters because he didn't just ascend to heaven he's now glorified you see it says in verse 35 he says that's where Jesus is until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet everything Jesus had accomplished would be the foundation that would make him the king of the world That would make him not only savior of the world, not only creator and sustainer of the globe and the universe, it would make him the king of the world. Do you know what that means? Anybody who doesn't bow to him as king will be trampled under his feet. That's what that means. So when you're witnessing to a skeptic who seems to not want want anything to do with Jesus, they need to know one day you'll have something to do with Jesus. But it will be too late. Too, uh, too late. You, the enemy will be a footstool for his feet. Everybody who rejects, everybody who mocks, everybody who tries to eliminate Jesus will ultimately be crushed under the throne, under the power of the feet of Jesus. That's why it's so important that we share. Because if Jesus comes back today for his church, and he can, because there's no prophecy undone, or needing fulfilled for him to come back. And when he comes back, it's too late. There is no other opportunity for people to be saved. If if there is, according to scripture, it'll cost you your life during the tribulation period. And so it's important. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 7, he says, listen, I want you to enter through the narrow gate. He says, because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Jesus was telling his disciples what is true for you and for me today. When we walk down the street, when we drive through a drive through, when we go to Home Depot, when we're at school, when we're at work, when we're cutting our grass, the people around us, most of them are not going to heaven. He says, Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to righteousness, and few, are, few there, there are that find it. Our job is to steer people from the broad way to the narrow way. That's why you're supposed to be a witness. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to empower you so you can be a witness to get people off of the wrong road. And there's only one road. One of the biggest arguments people say well, I believe there's a lot of ways to get to God. Yeah, what a joke. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Somebody once told me this. They said, well, I believe there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Just like there's a lot of ways to get to Walmart. They said, you can go to Walmart. You can go... If I'm going to the Walmart at Halls, I mean, I can go right down Cunningham and get on whatever. I can go Emory Road. I mean, I I could shoot on up to Raccoon Valley, come in the backside. There's a lot of ways to get to Walmart. There's only one problem with that analogy. When I die, I ain't going to Walmart. Now, you may be going to Walmart when you die. To me, that's kind of like going to hell, okay? I'm not going, okay? I'm going to heaven when I die. And, and I'm going because I'm on the right road. I'm on the narrow way. I'm on the one path that leads to the Father in heaven, and that's Jesus. And so we're, it's not that hard. We just need to learn to do it. So we got authentication, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and glorification. That's the five categories you can include in your testimony, in your witnessing. You can include those. And, and you say, well, I just, man, I, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know all those answers. Acts chapter two, just memorize it, Just, just, your eyes. just quote him, just quote Peter. If you don't know, just say, let me tell you what Peter told a bunch of people, okay? And read it, get, have your Bible. That's a novel idea, carry a Bible. And read it and share with them the story. Okay, so number four, so what's the method? How do we take that message and how does it apply to somebody's life? This is amazing. This is so important for you to get. It's called the method for the awakening. It begins with conviction. Conviction, it's what we feel. Peter says in verse 36, he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, master and savior. That's what Jesus is. He's not just savior, that's great. And a lot of people don't wanna go to hell when they die. They wanna go to heavens, they want a savior, but they're not looking for a master. They're not looking for a new boss in town, a new sheriff. When Jesus comes, he comes to save and he comes to Lord or to rule in our life. That's what true Christianity, that's what true salvation looks like. And it begins with conviction, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. They were cut down deep. They were at that place where there were unknowns all of a sudden. There was undone. Something is wrong. I remember when I was 10 years old and I was in the revival and I didn't know what the guy was talking about. I could not follow him. I mean, he was, I had no idea. I, I was looking at everything else. But then at the end when he said, if you died today, tonight, are you certain you would go to heaven? I knew what that meant. And I was acutely distressed. I was cut to the heart. I was convicted of wrong of a of a wrong position before God. The preacher didn 't do that. My parents didn 't do that i wasn 't a self inflicted wound. it came from the Holy Spirit and I want you to understand something. you listen close you couldn 't save you, and you can 't save somebody else. You couldn't convict you, and you can't convict somebody else. But the Holy Spirit, who empowers you, can. And all you do is be a witness. You know what that Holy Spirit does? He'll just jump right out, right on them. You didn't do that. Holy Spirit does that. He has to do that. That's his job. It's important to understand our role. Our role is just to be a witness, just talk about Jesus, make him known, make him big, and make him great talk about Jesus make him off, uh, make him authentic talk about Jesus and what he did for us that he was crucified that he was buried that he was resurrected that he ascended and now he's glorified just talk about the greatness of Jesus and then walk just and then forget to walk away you're done you're done you you can't do the rest of it it's not your job now now you can at this point you can introduce scripture that now we have that Peter didn't have And we can include verses like Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can tell the person you're with Now, why am I telling you this? Because, man, I just, I love people now. The Holy Spirit changed me. And I'm worried about people's eternal condition. I'm worried about people listening to a lie. And I'm worried about people, if if the Lord comes back or we die, where people are going to be in eternity. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's important. This is important to everybody. And then we don't stop there. You could go to Romans 6, for the for the wages of sin is death. That's what he says. Because of sin, we're all dying. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. That's what I've been talking about. It's a free gift. God gave us a gift. All we have to do is receive it, and we won't die forever. And I'm excited about that for me, and I'm excited about the prospect of that being true for you. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9, because people say, Well, I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. You're terrible. You stink. Look at the person next to you and say, You stink. It's just the truth. We think way too highly of ourselves because we compare ourselves to the wrong standard. Before Almighty, holy, perfect, righteous God, we stink. We are sinful and undone. And, and, and so it says, for the by the grace of God, this is our only out. This is our only option. It's the grace, a free gift of God given to us. And he goes on in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, it's not of ourselves. It's not something we work for. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. So conviction. Now, it means to be stabbed in the heart. And you can't do that. But the Holy Spirit can. I've shared... It's one reason I, like, I love to go on foreign mission trips because many of those haven't heard the gospel. And a lot of people in our country and in our neighborhoods have heard some level of confused gospel, okay? Maybe on a television or maybe a friend or but just some confused idea. Like you go to the homeless, you know, a guy tells me while he's in prison, you know, they'd really unpacked God and had it all figured out and it, it was just a joke. Okay, so they've heard modified varieties of the gospel. But when you go to a lot of foreign countries, they haven't heard any gospel. And when you start telling the gospel, you're not even finished and they're wanting to get saved. You want to say, well, you hold on. I got to finish my story. I got a witness. I got to finish my witness. And they're wanting to get saved, you know. And, and so sometimes that's what it looks like. They, they, they're so convicted, which leads to the interaction. The interaction, it says, and, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, I love this question. 2,000 years ago, it was a good question. Listen to me, in 2023, right now, in this very room, it's a good question for each one of us. What should we do? What should I do? What I hear what you're saying. I feel undone. I feel separated. I feel distant from God. What should I do, brothers? And Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself, what should we do? You know, it's not the only time in scripture this beautiful question comes up. The Philippian jailer, you'll remember, the disciples are locked up. They start singing, praising the Lord. The Lord just comes and opens up the doors. They're all leaving, and the jailer's gonna kill himself because he knows if they run away, they're gonna kill him anyway. And so he's getting ready to kill himself. Acts sixteen thirty he says, then, the jailer says, then he brought them outside and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You'll remember Acts 22. We'll see it in several weeks. Uh, Saul is being converted to Paul. And he meets the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He asks this question, what should I do, Lord? And so Peter just told him, you need to repent. Now, let's explain repent because I haven't done a very good job in teaching that. And I don't do a very good job when I'm sharing the gospel. Repentance is 180 degrees, and I've said that many times. It's turning 180 degrees. You went from the way you were thinking, what you thought was right, now you turn 180 degrees, you agree with God. You change your mind from your old way, you change your mind a new. But it's not about just changing your mind. It's changing the direction that follows your mind. It's, when you change your mind to follow God, you gotta change your, the practices and the protocol of your life. I'm not living and doing the things tomorrow like I did yesterday. I have repented of that. I'm moving in the right direction with my mind, and I'm following Jesus with my actions. The word is metanoneo. It means to change our frame of minds, to change principles and practices, to change everything from the inside out. And then he says and be baptized in the name of Jesus this word is a very clear Greek word baptizo it follows repentance and salvation the word means to dip dunk or immerse so let me tell you something if you're here today and you've repented of your sins you've received the grace gift of Jesus in your life I don't care if you're 12 or 112 you need to be baptized right there in that tub of water why because peter just preached a sermon he says repent and be baptized and he makes no bones about it now what's getting ready to happen is crazy it's out there he says i want you to be dipped in water some people have been sprinkled nothing wrong with being sprinkled but it's not biblical baptism some people were sprinkled as a baby christened as a baby nothing wrong with that we dedicate babies too it's not biblical baptism biblical baptism is to be immersed dipped or dunked in water. Why? Because Jesus was dipped in water. It says when he came up straightway out of the water, he was dipped. We are identifying with Jesus. It is not only identification with Jesus, it is a symbol, a picture, if you will. By identifying with Jesus, you identify with his death and his burial in a liquid tomb and you come up to new life. It's a picture of your future resurrection. So if you're here today and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. just telling you. Now, you say, well, I was sprinkled. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a symbol, but it's not a picture, and it's not biblical baptism. Now, Peter says, if you want to follow Jesus, because they ask him now. Now it's dialogue. It's open for questions. What What do we need to do? He says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. He says, you need to repent in your heart and change the directions in your life. You need to go public with your decision by baptism. He says, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, let's just pause right here. I want you to understand in this very first Christian sermon that Peter preached to thousands of people, he covered a whole lot of stuff. That we get tangled up on. He talked about the predetermined plan and sovereignty of God that separates the reformed community from the unreformed, the Calvinist from the non-Calvinist. Hmm. He talked about uh he talked about baptism that separates not only people who are sprinkled and people who are dipped but also denominations like the church of Christ who believe unless you're baptized you're not saved because it says for the remission of sins and why don't we believe that you have to be baptized for salvation because this preposition right here in the Greek is the word eis and it can be for the remission of sins or it can be because of the remission of sins and so in this in this uh in this short message we see all of this stuff unfolding that often churches get divided about i was telling kendra about it and she said why do you think he didn't unpack some of that stuff and explain some of that stuff he's preaching to baby christians he's preaching to people who are lost and getting ready to get saved He didn't want them to get lost in the weeds. And I'm here to tell you today, there's a whole lot of sophisticated Christianity who are lost in the weeds. Thinking they understand God. And driving a stake in the ground like they've got him all figured out. And he's God. He is not to be all figured out. And so I believe we have to get back to a childlike faith simple childlike faith that's what peter is preaching he, he told about who jesus was he told about what jesus did they wanted to know what they need to do next he says you need to repent of your sins and be baptized and be saved that's it and be, then ultimately be, you'll be given the gift of the holy spirit there's another then he goes on he says for this promise is for you and your children there's people who believe that if the parents are saved their children are saved and and this comes up a few times in scripture and they build this whole denomination on the fact that if you're saved as parents your children will be saved and that's not biblical either and so sometimes we get lost in the weeds and meanwhile Jesus is saying I just want somebody to be a witness can I just get a witness I don't need a bunch of egg-headed theologians we've got enough of those I need somebody who's going to tell people about Jesus so my Holy Spirit can come and convict their heart and invite them into God's forever family. And he's asking that of you. Now, we see this thing unfold. Now, what about the momentum of the awakening? This is so cool. What happens when this guy simply does what the Holy Spirit has empowered him to do and the Son of God has saved him and commanded and commissioned him to do? Verse 40. With many other words, he testified. Let me pause right there. You could say, I was reading that message. It took me about four minutes. Why do you preach for like 50 minutes? One, I'm not that smart. Okay? Two, this clause right here, that's not all Peter said. With many other words, that's at least 45 more minutes. He testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added. The church of 120 grew to 3,120 in a day. And you thought we had parking problems. Where are we going to put all them camels? We're going to have to expand. 3,120 in a day, and it's not over yet. You see, what happened on that day continued. Inertia had been broken, and it was moving forward. And it's been rolling for 2,000 years. And you're here today as a product of one man's obedience to the command of Jesus to share the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit so thousands would come, and they would go and tell others, we're here today is that not beautiful that's the program the predetermined plan of God to share the greatest love story ever told found in Jesus his son so what are we what's the takeaway for today and we're done first of all if you're not a believer if you're just like that crowd standing there hearing about Jesus and you know there's something undone I want to encourage you and challenge you and compel you to respond to the conviction of your heart. Repent of your sin. Change the direction of your life. Head to God. Follow it up with being baptized. Be filled with the Spirit and become a witness for Jesus Christ, the one who would save your eternal, change your eternal destiny right now if you would allow it. Number two, for those of us which are many or most who are already believers... Be a witness. That's all you got to do. Just be like Peter. Peter didn't have have it all together. He didn't have all the answers, and you don't have to either. You just start telling the story of Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit of God empower you, and let the Holy Spirit of God do the work in saving people. Okay? I want you to bow your heads. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for this amazing chapter in the book of Acts. I thank you for the privilege of, of getting to teach and preach through it. God, I I, I ask that you forgive me on areas where I I missed it. I ask God that you'll just erase those parts from the memory of anybody who heard it. God, I pray that there's enough truth in there that we can all be changed and we can all be better witnesses because of, of what you've done. Help us be bold. We have the greatest story ever told inside of us just waiting to get out. And the world is becoming darker and darker and darker, waiting to hear the light of the story of grace found in Jesus, your son. We give you praise for it. And God, if there's someone here today, maybe many who need to be saved, let them come to this altar, bow a knee, ask for uh, repent of their sins, and be saved today. And we'll give you praise for it all because you're worthy of all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast, and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.